You are listening to The Black Landscape with Andrea Spearman, where Black excellence is always trending. Welcome back. I am your host, Andrea Spearman, and this is The Black Landscape, where we engage with emerging and established Black leaders here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Andrea, and I'm a light-skinned Black woman with dark brown curly hair, currently under a beautiful Black head wrap with blue, green, red, and yellow pattern shapes. And I'm also wearing my black and brown glasses. Today, we're here with the man of the hour, Pendarvis Harshaw. Please describe yourself to our listeners. I am a short black man, brown skin, black hat, A's hat, black and white, wearing a very comfortable hoodie that I've fallen in love with, which is off-white. And I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. Yes, we're so excited to have you here with us. So, Pen, if I can call you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a native Baydestrian, tell us about your background. Where'd you grow up? I lived on all three corners of the town. So, you originally born, born in Columbus, Ohio, um, but moved to Oakland when I was three. So, I don't know anything about the town. And I've lived in the flatlands on the hillside, east, west, north. Uh, it was my time spent hanging out in the dubs as a teenager that really influenced me. From there, I literally caught the bus to youth radio and to these youth programs that really helped launch my career. And um, yeah, I, I'm so thankful for all the lessons I learned in the town from in schools to on streets to in youth centers. And so that that's where I was made. Absolutely. And so why do you think your parents moved to the Bay? Like what? I mean, Columbus, Ohio. I mean, <laughs> but like what brought them here? Were they originally from here? No, no, no. My mother, um, my mother was getting away from my father. He was abusive. And so my oh. mother. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, 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 no. But it's, you know, it's a healthy story in the fact that she got out of there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an adult now, as a father, I fully understand the decisions that were made. And, you know, as a kid, you know, you want your dad around. But and now as an adult, again, as a father and understanding what it takes to be a full time father and not only abusive in terms of relationships or the persons, people around you, but a he was abusing himself and mm. that's no, that's no place to have a child around. And so my mother um, moved to Oakland. My aunt was already out here as well as my stepfather who my mom knew and they eventually became an item. Um, and they owned a black janitorial business that was relatively successful in the early nineties called ultra janitorial system, cleaning some, some pretty major places. And so I got a chance to see the behind the scenes of, of a lot of stuff in Oakland as a little kid. Black entrepreneurs. There you go. See? And was that a major influence for you to somewhat get on this journey? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, there's the the entrepreneurship and seeing that. Um, And then there's that whole, I won't say romanticizing, but you know, you you see your mother, she's beautiful. You don't want her cleaning floors. And so you start working harder. And I got an opportunity to go to this private school in high school and I took that seriously because I realized this could be my ticket to get my mom out of her position. I love that. I love that. There's something about that mother son relationship that a lot of people have. And it's always that you always see that, like, especially in sports, they'd be like, this one's for you, mom, or Hey mom. It's always that, that, that mother son relationship. That's so special. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, I have an older sister as well. And, her relationship with my mother is drastically different, you know? And so <laughs> yeah, it's all love, but it's just different. It's just- mm-hmm. 
Tell us more. You said, you know, private school for high school. Is that where your storytelling journey began with the written word? Yeah, I think, I mean, it really starts with the Oakland Oratorical Fest in mm-hmm. like first grade kindergarten, Langston Hughes poem, delivering that at the Kaiser, what's that, the Kaiser Auditorium by the mm-hmm. lake. Yes. And I remember seeing a picture of my class in the newspaper. And I was like, what? You know, it could take us there. And years later, I got into poetry, went to Edna Brewer for middle school and poetry turned into rapping and capping, roasting folks. Um, <laughs> right. um, and then uh, essay writing. And the essay writing is what got me into a, a nonprofit called A Better Chance. And A Better Chance essentially mm-hmm. takes kids from the neighborhood and puts them in private schools or college preparatory schools. And, and so I went to the school called Athenian, which is out in Danville. Um, mm. which is, yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, it's at the foot of Mount Diablo, way out in the suburbs, suburbs of the East Bay. And it gave me an opportunity to see more than at the time of going to Athenian. I thought that the suburbs were Lakeshore. I thought the suburbs were, you know, Piedmont. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I, I saw the real suburbs. And I was like, oh, this is mind blowing. Um, and, and then it built up that um, that muscle of getting up every morning to catch the bus to the BART, catch the BART to the, the big yellow bus that takes me out to the Ooh, suburbs. Yes. Dealing, dealing with white kids who don't know anything about my culture um, and, and having a way to express it. Um, yeah, I really, I'm really thankful at that time. I didn't like it at, at the, you know, back in the day. I wanted to be with my partners. I wanted to go to Tech or Oakland High, um, but it, it paid dividends. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And there's nothing like that, that like three point, four point travel trying to get somewhere. It's like I got to take I got to walk to the bus, then bus to the bar, then bar to the bus. Right. That's... And as, as, a, as a 14 year old. Right. You have to. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah Stamina. So. <laughs> thinking ahead but you know being prepared not losing your backpack not getting lost on days you know i I started smoking early so i would like smoke before school mm-hmm. and but being young and responsible enough to still cat off but still handle my stuff <laughs> like 10 percent catting off 90 percent doing what well, I need to do. exactly <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. that's so funny because that is really you know the lesson that a lot of young people here in the Bay Area learned is like that learning how to commute, learning how to get that independence a little bit earlier here in the Bay Area because we have things so spread out to where some folks get to experience these amazing you know, schools or they get to be part of these programs that you have to get back and forth to. What role... Or what took that uh, level of written word to the next level for you? Yeah, next level. Let's see. Um, youth radio, like mm-hmm. full on youth radio. There was I was a part of youth everything in the Bay Area at that time. You know, I was at Youth mm-hmm. Uprising doing videos. EOYDC. I stepped in there a couple of times. Youth Outlook, which is a program out of San Francisco, New America Media. They assisted me. Didn't really do youth speaks, but hung out with them. Mm-hmm. The youth Youth radio showed me that that um, knack for storytelling through poetry and rhymes, the words didn't always have to rhyme and I could still record them and be on the radio and get paid and I could have longevity in this career. And so at 17, I was fortunate enough to take a trip to Ghana um, through that. Come that on, private Ghana. Yeah. And so, but you can imagine seeing, like leaving the dubs and going to, you know what I'm saying, to Ghana and then comparing like what they're doing in Ghana to what me and my partners would do you know, hanging out by the Manzanita Center. Like, oh, dang, okay, that ain't, that ain't too different. Like, it's dance, it's dark liquor, 
is the drums. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> wait not a the dark liquor. I- <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up writing a piece comparing what I saw of home to what I saw in the homeland. And that mm-hmm. piece uh, played on national public radio. It got me a scholarship. It made me, um, like, I knew journalism was a career path, but now I could actualize it. I was, I was in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did photography come into that? I had always been doing photography. I'm laughing. I started off, we, you know, we grew up in that era of, like, disposable cameras. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would have the disposable cameras in, like, the last 10 shots. I would just take shots of power lines just to get mm. through the reel, you know, and then <laughs> send them to Walgreens. And my mom would get them back. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like, what is this? So now she sees my photos and she's like, I'm glad it paid off because, man, what the hell? Um, She was she was very concerned. (laughs) Exactly. Are you serious? What is like, you okay, beloved? (laughs) Beloved. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, photography, I got my first camera around age. I got my first video camera at 19. I had like rinky dink cameras before that. But um, 18, 19, I got a video camera. At the same time, I, from from that illustrious private school, I ended up going to Laney for a year. And while I was at Laney, that's when I really got into journalism. I bought my first camera. A lot of my friends, shout out to Jesus L., my best friend. He's a very well-known turf dancer. Mm-hmm. And so I would ride with him to all these candy shop functions or whatever dance battles, be filming them and and produce content from that. And that was my start. And like E40's, what, uh, what's that? Get my ghetto report card. Mm-hmm. When, that, when that drops in 06, I'm in Emeryville and Stomper, the elephant is out there dancing, going dumb. And I filmed that. And that's my first little like viral video and, and everything. So, yeah, photography and uh, videography kind of went hand in hand. Oh, you just took me back 2006. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a big project. I mean, I'm kind of tipping the card here. I'm doing a big project about 2006 right now. And so mentally I'm there. Right now we're going to take a short break to catch up on previous episodes of The Black Landscape. Download on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, and Google Podcasts. When we come back, we will hear more from Penn Harshaw. Hey fam, if you are enjoying what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or in the comments of our social media pages. We want to hear from you which guest was your favorite and answer any burning questions you may have. If there are any outstanding professionals or emerging leaders in the Black Bay Area community that you think we should know about, tag them on our Instagram at the Black Landscape or email us about who they are, you know, just a short blurb and their contact information to theblacklandscape at gmail.com. As this podcast continues to elevate and evolve, you can promote your business with us. Whether it's a food service, retail, skincare, or more, we believe in promoting and patronizing local emerging and established business owners. Email us at theblacklandscape at gmail.com to learn more. We are back with OG Penn, as he is fondly known in these streets. <laughs> All right, so Penn has his own podcast, which I hope y'all are familiar with. And if you ain't, get familiar, okay? It's called Right Now-ish with KQED, where every week Penn is out in the community, uplifting the people and rich history of the Bay Area. So talk to us about how this show kind of came to be about your relationship with KQED. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fast forward uh, from the the seeds of journalism being planted while in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Howard University, study telecommunications management, come back out to the Bay, teaching at Tech, McClymonts, um, you name it. Um, and then I decided to go to grad school at Berkeley. Wait, hold on. You was teaching at Tech? Yeah. yeah. Oh, bless your heart. Glad you made it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great experience. I was there in 2011, and that was a part of the pilot program for the African-American Male Achievement Department. Oh, which yeah. Now the Department of Equity. So, yeah, I taught the first class. So Come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, but it was great. It was great. It was healing. It was really healing. Me at 23, I'm talking to 13-year-olds, and I'm looking at them like, oh, I see what I just came from. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I brought my journalism into the, into the class. And so, but yeah, so that's one of the pieces that led to where I'm at now. The teaching then leads to me going to Berkeley. While in Berkeley, I do documentary film as a, a master's program. From there, I'm, I'm in the industry now. And I got a small taste of some tech reporting. I did some policy work. I bounced mm-hmm. around. And then KQED, um, shout out to an editor by the name of Gabe Maline, followed me on social media. He saw what I was doing independently. He was mm-hmm. like, bro, see what you're doing. Just come do that for us. Like, you don't have to change your voice, anything. They've never assigned me anything. Like, mm-hmm. not not like mandatory, you know? Um, and then pretty much everything I pitch gets the green light with some type of, like, input or, you know, like, hey, let's focus this. But, but they, they know. a blessing? It is. And it's so rare. And it's, and I tell people it's a byproduct of me kicking up dust before I got there and, like, knowing what I was already about before I got there. So when I stepped up there, they were like, okay, cool. Just keep cooking. Just keep making the same meals you've been making. And the right now-ish thing, great example, was a photo series that I was doing on Twitter. I would just stumble across any image that was moving. There was a, a mural of uh, Colin Kaepernick on Telegraph back in the day during his start of his uh, kneeling journey. Um, mm-hmm. I just happened to stumble across it, post a picture. This is on Telegraph right now. And I was put right now because <laughs> that day I was walking from downtown to like MacArthur Bar and I posted it like halfway through. I wouldn't post it right there when I'm at that place because I know the Internet is full of unique characters. And so I wouldn't want to tell them where I was right there. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. And so that concept of stumbling in the art that speaks to a larger issue or current topic um, is really the driving force behind the podcast. Um, and now you can imagine I'm stumbling into these art pieces or um, places and talking to the movers and shakers who are behind it, getting that opportunity to really know the community. People talk about it all the time when that when I get feedback about what the podcast is to folks. They're like, it's kind of like, you know, Mr. Rogers, you know, like get to meet your neighbor. And I'm like, yes, yes. literally <laughs> at the, the pitch meeting, I brought in an image of Mr. Rogers and two short, short dogs in a house. And I was like, I want to merge these two. This is this is what I want. This is my vision. And so it's it's been um, ups and downs. You know, the pandemic was hard. Recording a podcast and consistently doing it, I'm sure, as you know, is, is difficult because um, sometimes you feel like you're talking to yourself. Um, and then there's been some really highlights. This is like amazing. I've talked to Frederica Newton. I've talked to, you know, just some really like, powerful, dope people on record. And through KQED, that means it's archived essentially forever. So I'm really fortunate for that. Yes. Yes. Archived conversations. That is definitely something that the Black Bay Area has been moving towards in recent years. I mean, there's 
always been archival processes, you know, here in the Bay Area, part of our history and culture, but really keeping record of that is amazing. And I'm glad that they're doing that for you. Because And yes, especially in this podcasting journey, whew, it could be it could be a time in, in not a good way. <laughs> it's just it can be tedious sometimes, but it's it's once you get those interviews and really hearing people's backgrounds and stories, it makes it all worth it, especially when you get that positive feedback like, oh, I never heard of this person and they sound amazing or I connected with them at the farmer's market. Like, yeah, or I'll, I'll get that. Like I heard someone will hear of somebody else on the podcast. They will bypass me and reach out directly to that person. And then they will develop a, a, an interaction of some sort. And I'm like, yes, that's what it's for. Develop that that community. Yeah, like, yes, please reach out to these people. Yeah. yeah please do. What is the future of right now-ish? So we've been kicking up dust doing this show for about three years. It started off as a radio show first. Now it's a radio show and podcast. And last year we pivoted and started, started experimenting with doing series. So instead mm-hmm. of just one-off episodes about random artists, we're focusing on six weeks on a given topic. Um, as we speak right now, the topic we're highlighting is land, which is very broad. But I know that there are so many debates around land in California that I was like, let's do just just dive into stories about land. Um, so, of course, you know, the rent is t- too damn high. We all know that. But, like, <laughs> but let's let's go into a little bit more. So the first story we started off with is... Um, actually out of uh, Folsom, um, outside of Sacramento, um, where there's a, a park that used to be called Negro Bar. It's recently it's, been... Ch- yeah, I, it, was, it was called... Not not Negro, Negro Bar. Um, Negro Bar, right? Um, and has recently, last year, it was changed to Black Miners Bar. Miner, as in uh, gold digger, not somebody under 18. Um, uh, oh, and, <laughs> thank you for yeah, the clarification. Exactly. <laughs> N-E-R, yeah, exactly. Um and then talking to the historians who are doing the research to, to tell us why this change is significant and also why it's not permanent. It's a temporary change because mm. people don't know the real history of this land of like, yes, there were black miners there, but they were also if they were miners, that means that there were people in industry who weren't miners supporting the miners. They were axe pick sellers or people, you know, the people who had to make food. I'm sure there was a church there. If you know anything about black folks, there was a church there. Always. So, so, you know what I'm saying? So. That research is still being done, but because it had been overlooked for you know decades, it, people just called it Negro Bar because that's what the white folks used to call it back in the day because that's where the black folks would pan for gold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the first story in our land series. We also talked to somebody who's growing a vineyard in San Francisco. There's an indigenous group who's fighting to get land back in the South Bay. Um, just just mm-hmm. kind of cross-section of stories about land in Northern California. So that's just an example of this series concept that we're doing. Um, and the real thing I'm excited about for right now is in the future, later this year, as a part of our celebration of 50 plus years of hip hop history in the Bay Area, I'm doing a deep dive into the year 2006. And 2006 was a remarkable year, man. It's, mm. just, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because, you know, tell me when the go comes out, blow the whistle comes out, Messy Marv is doing numbers. Uh, there's Bathgate. There's just so many artists. Uh, Keisha Cole is coming. She's still hot, but 05 is really her year where she blows, mm-hmm. blows. Guapale is still slapping, even though it comes out in 02 with Closer, but she's still obviously running things, R&B-wise. So there's a lot of elements at play, and people have this misconception that 
the hyphy movement, quote unquote, was goofy and funny and just clown shit. And I'm like, nah, all that celebration and dancing and drug doing and hopping on cars and stuff, that came out of pain. Like people were, you're at the sideshow swinging your car and there's an RIP pamphlet for your partner who died on the dashboard of your car. Mm. Like there's there's a lot of pain behind that Hennessy, you know? So um, talking about the homicide rate of that time period and and um, some of the institutional things that created the environment of 06. Um, and so I just did the first couple interviews this week. And that podcast comes out, that series comes out in October or fall of this year. All right. Yeah. That was, man, that was a time. Those uh, mid to late 2000s. Yeah, it was. Back when we were young. (laughs) (laughs) Younger, still young. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, I think a lot of people are going to gravitate toward it. Mm -hmm. And it. To take it a step further, um, in the large scope of hip hop and what like hip hop comes out of the Bronx and people looking for an alternative to lack of institutional investment in their community. Um, and the gangs of that area played a huge part in creating the hip hop that we know and love. Mm-hmm. And so let's look at another iteration of that same circumstance and how the three letter gangs. The, the STIs of, of back in the day, you know, scandalous type individuals and all of that, you know what I'm saying, played a part in, in the hyphy movement and wearing peacoats and dreads and all that stuff. So, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Awesome. Yes. Our hit, you know, our history needs to be reviewed and recollected and archived. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this series. You have such an investment in, in history and in historical realness and authenticity. Is that how the book OG told me came about? Talking to yeah. elders, talking to people in the community. Yeah, I think it. Um, the book the book is like a, an explanation as to why I did this photo essay. So for five years, mm. I did the photo essay. OG told me where I would just straight go up to OGs, and this could be a bus driver, the, the drunk dude on the corner, the dude with the clean cougar who just be posted. You know what I'm saying? Like any elder black men and ask them if they could share their wisdom based on their life's experience with young people, what would they say? And I take a photo and post it on Tumblr with their quote. And I was teaching that African-American male achievement class at that time. And it was an opportunity for these young homies to get to know these elders who are out in the community using the internet to do something about this generational divide. And it was tight. It got a lot of buzz. But people always ask me, like, why am I doing this project? And I was like, let me explain to you how I grew up. And so growing up without a father in the household, not only myself, but all of my partners who I kicked it with, yeah, seven out of eight of my closest friends grew up without fathers in the household. Mm. And we all subliminally, or maybe even intentionally, will go out and try to soak up game or just how to how to roll a blunt, how to crease your jeans, because we were creasing our jeans back in the day. But like, <laughs> um, but how to how to do these things that the elder older brothers would do um and so i had to write it's og told me the book is 12 essays of me and my partners going out chasing girls bumping our heads and some older dude being like hey youngster stop messing up essentially you know here's a lesson (laughs) and yeah i i I like philosophy so i think it's Mm. more about than history um Mm. (laughs) it's that you know if if black lives matter then as black philosophy should matter as well. Yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Are those pictures still up on Tumblr right now? Yeah, OGtoldme.com is still a thing. OGtoldme.tumblr.com is still a thing. Um, and I, you know, I, I did it just because I felt the need to. And I didn't realize it at the time, but there's a lot more archives than just the people. Like, if you look at the background of the photos, so much of the landscape of the town has changed. And so it's an opportunity to look back at how the lake looked before they did the redevelopment on that south end, you know, or how West Oakland looked before some new houses popped up. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I really appreciate younger me for doing that and just hopping on my bike, riding around and talking to talking to cats. Well, it was so wonderful getting to know you better, Penn. You are such an amazing person, community leader. Thank you. Thank you. Now, thank you for this opportunity. It's good to cross your path the other day, too, like in real life, right? Yes. Uh, and yeah, thank you. Thank you, community leader. No, I like service, service leader. I, I like, yeah, come on, service. Yes. I like doing the service first. And if y'all going to praise me, like if, if anything is praised, it's the fact that the service is making people happy. And that, that ain't even about me. It's about the work. So, yeah. So thank you for acknowledging the work. Thank you for your work. Um, and yeah, looking forward to crossing your path again in these streets. Absolutely. Tell our audience where they can find you. Sure. I'm on Twitter and Instagram way too much. Um, you can find me at OGPen, O-G-P-E-N-N on both of those. And if you're uh, in the email, it's OGPen at Gmail. Um, those are the best ways to contact me. And then uh, all of my work, uh, majority of my work is on KQED's website. Um, you can just look up Pendarvis Harshaw KQED, as well as a project we didn't mention about formerly incarcerated lifers mm. who gotten out of prison and are re-entering society that project is called facing life and that can be found at facing.life i'm really proud of that project so please check that out all right y'all heard it here uh pins links will be in the captions slash show notes as well as our sponsors tap in and support black voices black businesses blackness blackity black 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 Thank you all out there for listening and supporting another season. This has been another episode of The Black Landscape, where Black excellence is always trending. 